1: Funny thing happened on the way to Dirty White Belt Radio's 2019 season. Well, two funny things actually, but let's start with the first. I opened a jiu jitsu school, not by myself. I opened it in conjunction with my favorite blue belt, Betsy O'Donovan, and my brother David Porter, who you've probably heard on the show many, many times. Dave, Betsy, and I opened Bellingham BJJ in the heart of downtown in beautiful Bellingham, Washington. And I encourage you, anytime you're in town, just come by for a visit. We don't charge visitors. Any mat fees, especially if they're paying dues at a regular jujitsu jitsu academy, we love having visitors in the academy. So do come and say hi when you're in town. As it turns out, running a jiu-jitsu academy is very labor-intensive. And the good news is that um, we built it and they came. We have a little over 200 members right now, which is pretty incredible after our first six months. And we're super grateful, super flattered, and incredibly happy. Every day I'm in the academy. I'm tired, but I'm so happy. It's just a a space that makes me and hopefully all the students just really thrilled to be there. Uh, So that's the good news. But it's also why there haven't been many podcasts lately. Now, that's going to change in 2020 because we already have two episodes after this one uh, prepared. One of those episodes is about the Academy because I know a lot of folks in the audience either own their own schools or may want to run their own program one day. And in the past six or seven months that we've been open, we've learned so much Uh, about what to do, about what not to do, and everything in between. And so I want to share some of those insights. And so if you have a question uh, that you'd like to see covered on a future episode, be sure to email me at jeff at bellingmbjj.com or jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. And I'll make sure that we answer those questions on a future episode. Like I said, one of those episodes is in the can already, ready to drop in 2020. We also have another episode ready to drop in 2020 about the other big news, which is uh, my metaphorical white belt got a little bit dirtier this past week. That's right. Uh, I had the honor of being promoted to black belt by my instructor, Seth Shamp. And it was an incredible experience that I'm deeply grateful for. Nobody does anything like this alone. And so I'm super grateful to everybody who's taught me some jujitsu, who's trained with me, who's kicked my butt, who's let me drill moves on them. And we'll have a whole episode about that journey and about the three and a half or four hour test that me and my brother Hamid Sanders and Kevin Bacon, uh, yes, that's his real name, went through uh, in Durham, North Carolina about a week ago. Uh, It's still pretty surreal and uh, I'm incredibly humbled and grateful for it. And we'll deal with that uh, on a future episode. But those are sort of the things that have been going on. Uh, preparation for the Black Belt and running the Academy. And so we haven't had the time to do as many episodes. But that's going to change in 2020. One of the other things that's going to happen with 30 White Belt Radio is the synergy of running an Academy allows you to bring in a bunch of folks that you think are interesting, either to talk to, uh, or to deliver a seminar, deliver a private lesson, things like that. And sometimes you just have folks coming through town for a visit. And so Oliver Taza who is one of the best no-gi grapplers in the world and a rising star on the grappling scene, uh, who has trained with some of the best in the world, who has trained under some of the best in the world, us Sahabi, John Donaher, trains regularly with the team known as the Danaher Death Squad, in addition to training at TriStar Gym in Montreal, was coming through town on a bit of a vacation. And he stopped by to teach our no-gi class. He also stuck around to roll with me, with Dave, and with a bunch of the students at Bellingham BJJ. So we're super grateful for that. Oliver Taza. He's a tremendous guy, super fun uh, to roll with, learned a lot from him. I'm really grateful for him stopping by on his on his little mini vacation. We also recorded an episode with him, an episode that you're about to hear. In that episode, Oliver talked to us about why he's able to achieve such success, even though he's only been training jujitsu for about seven years and Uh, training, achieving such success at such a young age. He has some key insights that I think you'll want to hear. Talks about his path back from injury, from tearing his ACL and receiving ACL surgery and some of the mental techniques that he's used to uh, continue his grappling rise. We talk a little bit about technique. We talk a little bit about personality and we talk about his own podcast, which you should check out. So without further ado, here's the last Dirty White Belt radio episode for 2019, which is our interview with Oliver Taza. Guys, we're sitting here with Oliver Taza. Oliver is here to visit, to train, to relax after Nogi Worlds. We'll talk about that performance. Welcome. We're really grateful to fully have you here in our gym.
0: Thank you for having me in your very beautiful gym, Jeff and David.
1: <laughs> we're glad to have you here, and you've competed against Dave a couple times, which we'll talk about, uh, I'm sure, on the podcast. But first, I got lucky. <laughs> I don't know about that. The harder I work, the lucky I get. The luckier I get, right? Yeah. So, you know, you're an ADCC qualifier, you've done really well in your career so far, and why don't we just get started by talking about how Nogi Worlds went?
0: Nogi Worlds went well uh, for the team, I'd say in general, as a, as, as a team for the jiu-jitsu community in Montreal. Uh, personally, the result didn't go the way I wanted to, but with every loss, there's a, a lot of lessons that that are learned and a lot of adjustments that uh, are made. Mm-hmm. Um coming into the comp, you know, camp was good, wrestled a lot, jits mixed it up between New York and Montreal as always. Result didn't go my way. In the second match I um I lost by two by by reversal. And the way the match went, after rewatching it a couple of times, I was able to see you know where I could improve. Um and it's mostly I wouldn't even say uh technical technical aspects of course but also uh, strategic and tactical aspects, you know, like um, being aware of the mats, for example, like being aware of where you initiate the sweep because in IBJJF, they reset you standing, whereas in other organizations, they'll reset you in the position. Like ADCC, you run out of bounds, they'll start you in whatever position you ended up in. ADJJF, uh, you have to be extra aware of the uh, borders, right? So it went well, it went well, but... Uh, you know, these are little adjustments that need to be made. But other than that, man, we had a lot of guys from, uh, from Montreal go down um, and compete and put it on the line, which was
2: great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking on teams, and you had mentioned Montreal and New York, uh, talk a little bit about that. Because between training with Faraz and then training with Danaher and that group, um, what was that preparation like? You, you just kind of alluded to it, but I would like to hear more about that, especially mm. with, with this event you know, I know Tom De Blas was there, I know some other like uh, side, um, or not side, but peripheral players in that game who are not necessarily from Danhurst or um, TriStar. It's a very expansive roster of people that you get to train with. So what was that like?
0: It was, a, you know, usually camps, I do them only in uh, New York. I do them mostly in the Hanzo's, so like, oh, this is where the best place to train is, this is where all the highest level guys are in Jiu Jitsu. So usually most of the preparation is done at Henzo's, however this time uh, I tried to switch things up a bit and did half of it at at Henzo's, half of it at TriStar. So at TriStar, the the big positive of training at TriStar is first there's a lot of room to train and then it's MMA guys. So what happens is um, you get similar problems to when you compete, guys not wanting to engage, Guys very hard to hold down, guys that fight every little little detail, little position. So, you know, it forces me to work on engaging, getting them to engage, wrestling, heisting up, whereas in Henzos it's more, you know, guys attacking me. Jiu Jitsu like from guard or working on guard passing. So it's, it's different different things that you get to work on. And um You know, obviously I learned a lot from Firas and then there's also Gia. We have a wrestling coach called Gia, Olympic medalist, a huge help. And then you mix it with John. So it's, you know, obviously this time around the result didn't go my way. But if I can maintain these three resources and keep working with them on the long run, I think it it will benefit a lot for sure.
1: Yeah, you're definitely on the upward trajectory and you've already accomplished things that 99.9% of grapplers never will, winning at ADCC trials, qualifying for ADCC, being invited to what I consider and I think most people consider the most prestigious no-gi grappling yeah. honor in the world. And so I'm, I'm curious, like about Firas Sahabi and John Danner, what would you say the similarities are between their coaching styles and the differences are between their coaching styles and like what you get from each source?
0: Um, so training with, with John and for us, you notice a lot of similarities in terms of... Uh, like breaking things down and understanding uh, the game, they they approach it in a very uh, cerebral way. You know, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of explaining, a lot of concept training. You know, like uh, they'll break concepts down. We'll work on a similar thing for a certain period of time. Uh, differences, I would say, uh, John John will show things that are um, jiu-jitsu related, MMA related, obviously, but for us it, it will be very oriented towards uh, MMA. Mm-hmm. So it's very effective in all rule sets, I would say. But I'll give you an example. Like when you have somebody's back, for us, will show an option where you can use the body triangle to hook hook the far leg and come up on top and ground and pound. Things to stay on top. You know, certain attacks you can do in, in, in jiu-jitsu, you wouldn't necessarily do in MMA. So these things, um, you can see the difference. And then uh, to be honest with you, uh, these things also apply very well to the ADCC rule set, right? Because um, you have to pin somebody down both shoulders on the mat to get your points. Uh, at JGF, you know, if they're a turtle on their knees, you get two. So there's another difference, but there the, a lot of similarities. I'd say a lot, a lot more similarities than differences. So it's uh, it's like you you never really leave the gym. Like when I'm a tri star and I go to Enzo's, it's not like there's a huge difference. It's just the the guys that I'm rolling with, it's different reactions, different answers to to what you throw at them.
1: We talked about your grappling trajectory and sort of the way that you are... you know, sort of looking at yourself and making improvements. I'm wondering about your goal setting and whether you you have near-term goals for the things you want to accomplish as well as long-term
0: goals. And I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit of what those near-term goals and long-term goals are. Yeah, so obviously after Novi Rolls, I'm very fired up to competing. And that's something that happens usually after you compete. You're super motivated to jump back in there. Um, however, it's important to, to not, like, act emotionally and then start to jump into competitions uh, right away and line them up, especially for me coming back from, from an injury. You know, what it made me realize is you, you have to find a way with Jiu-Jitsu to, to make money while not necessarily using your body. So um, getting involved in the community is also is also a reason why I've been spending a lot more time in Montreal, you know, bouncing. Usually I'll stay in Montreal for a couple of days and go to New York, disappear. Now I'm trying to mix it up more half and half. So in the long run, I can have um, something sustainable, sustainable way of of making money or of growing something that you know can can, in case I get injured again, can can help me survive and not have to rely on going and using my body as a you know as a source of income to teach a role or
1: whatnot. Mm-hmm. What was it like coming back from that injury? Because you had ACL surgery, and that's one of the most significant injury is one of the things that has we talked a little bit off the air about how tough it was to rehab that and mm-hmm. so i'm wondering i mean it had to be devastating but you're back now and so maybe you could talk us through a little bit about that process and your mentality going through it
0: yeah we were talking about it off the uh off the air and then we i was able to relate to what's her name the, dominica oh yeah. yeah 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 how she got injured too and then one thing that that um well, I mean, for me, and then for her, obviously as well, is when you get back from injury, you try to avoid getting hurt again. So there was, a I didn't really, I didn't really realize that until after ADCC because four months in, I got the invite for ADCC, I got it, and I was like, how can I turn that down? You know what I mean? And I did the math, and it was about it was about one year after post surgery. So I was like, I'll prepare for it. Then after you see, you realize this took a toll, and then like the healing is going to take a bit longer because of that. Mm-hmm. So rehab itself is, is not that hard. It's we're used to training, we're used to hitting the gym, we need it. So rehabbing itself wasn't hard. It was the hardest part was when I was able to like move around. And it was around the time where I got the invite. It was like four months, mm-hmm. you feel good, but you're not supposed to be training because your ligament's still not solid enough so me fired up I jump in the gym and I have a flow stall four month and a half my knee buckles i go to do a back step my oh, knee goes from east to west Oh no! And in like a split second it goes back um, so in my opinion that was the toughest part for me personally is just staying disciplined and waiting out the six month because you start earlier you're going to finish healing later mm. so it's like you know taking a loan and then with high interest whereas if you wait the interest is lower Yeah, you pay a little little less if you start earlier but other than that it was good man. I listened to what the physios had to say, the doctors, you know, I read a book, um, I bought a book called Supple Leopard. Supple Leopard, yep. I own it too. Yeah, yeah, really good book, man. Every every athlete should should have that book in my opinion. Yeah, for shoulders, hips, money. Game changer. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, now I still I still like super careful about, you know, when I train, when there's a close call, I'll tap right away. I'll I'll try to save it for, you know, when it matters really, competitions, for example.
2: So I've been through that twice myself, um, both on my left knee, both in the military. I did cadaver tissue the first time, and it didn't hold. And then I had to go in a second time, and I ended up using the ligaments from my own hamstring. Did you use patella tendon, ligaments from your hamstring? Did you get cadaver tissue? And then with that, um, because of some of those are more invasive than others, that can have a impact on how long the recovery is or how great your durability will be afterwards mm. which did you use and why
0: i didn't get to choose actually mm. my doctor he didn't even tell me i just woke up and told me yeah we, we, we did hamstring graft okay uh for jiu i hear it's the it's the best one to do patella patella uh, we're on our knees a lot and we, we need to have our heels start butt a lot of the roll so that could limit your range of motion so i went I went hamstring. You had ACL surgery as well, twice. Damn, same knee, same knee. What? How's yep. the other leg? Uh, awesome.
2: And by awesome, I mean I have a bad, bad leg and a bad, good leg. So here's how it works. <laughs> you know, um, not, none of my knee injuries were jujitsu related, but I did have to, um, I did have to think about my jujitsu because of these injuries. I was training. I was a blue belt. The first time I had knee, uh, knee surgery. And once again, these were military related and it took me off for a while. And then I had a second one at, right after I got my purple belt and I had to take some time off. And, you know, especially because in our first match together, we played a lot of leg exchange. Dude. And so. I've, I'm have i not going to steer clear of, of a situation if I feel like I know what I'm doing. Um, it's scary to be in the pocket. But that's also, you know, the the game plan, right? We We have to put ourselves – we have to open up the game to try and get our submissions too. So mm-hmm. I can't worry too much about it but this is why I have to be very, very cognizant of when things are going bad so I tap early so that I don't make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about something off off the air but uh, about someone I had competed against at a tournament we both did and they just didn't have that same level of respect for their own body. Um, you know, without naming names, it's like that's, that's not a long-term way of dealing with it. Definitely you not. know. So for me, um, having suffered those injuries and the last surgery was in 2011, I've really gone about changing my game a certain way because I'm left-handed and it was my left knee that made a lot of those, um, that had a lot of those injuries. So then my right leg, I started to really favor for certain things, but being left-handed made it weird. I found that my game didn't change a lot, but it changed it enough to where I don't remember how to be like how I was when I was a purple belt anymore. Yeah. Have you felt any differences
0: yet because of this? A hundred percent, man. I felt felt a big difference. Well, some things that, that have changed is the passing, for example. Mm-hmm. Passing changes. Instead of passing on your feet, you lower your level, you pass on your knees. So there's less, less... I mean, I'm not saying it's harder to get underneath you. You can still get underneath somebody when they're on their knees. But obviously body lock passing becomes something you want to work on Um, from from bottom for example I'll keep my feet on the inside Um, that's those are two changes I made in my game but also yeah like you I'd say I'm a lot more calculated in in what I do or like I'll be thinking a bit more than when I when I uh, first started which is normal I think it's a lot of it is mental you know I was talking to, to George George had two two ACL surgeries too he's telling me the hardest part is the mental it's not really the uh, it's not necessarily physical physical, you get over it, but then it's that it's your mind. I think I think it's with time time definitely, and then um, like when I was training at Enzo's, I was rolling with Gary, and then I heel slipped for the first time, and I was like, oh shit, it wasn't that bad. I mean, these things are obviously risky because you understand now that you know ligament doesn't tear one shot. it's constant pulling, 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 and eventually. It just goes, right? So there's that. You, again, it's, you got you to gotta pick and choose when it's worth it, when it's not worth it. It's kind of like conditioning. Like the way, the way I'll, I'll do conditioning, when I'm close to a competition, you'll push yourself maybe once, a, once extra a week. So I'll do maybe sprints once a week. I get close to a comp maybe twice like just to get used to working when you're tired. When I'm far, like now, for example, I'll do conditioning, but it's less, it's less taxing on the body. So I think, like you said, having respect for your body for the for the long run, and it's also a balance for you know understanding that you're in combat sports and then risks are involved. So you got to choose and find find what works for you best. You know, like uh, I'm obviously willing to take risks to you know prepare as best as I can, but when it's worth it, definitely. Like before, I'll give you an example. Monday I fly in, right away I have to go teach. I have a little shoulder problem. Uh, like a pec, like I was telling you, the the back of my pec is damaged. Took a day, took another day. And now I'm good. The old me would have rolled, like would have been, oh man, I'm teaching. I gotta jump in. Guys are here waiting for me. I would have jumped in, made it worse. So it's like these kind of things. It's got its pros and cons. But I think for the long run, as as much as it sucks to have to think that extra split second while you're rolling, I think it's worth it. You're 26 now. 26. Is 26.
1: I've been all around the world and I've competed with multiple tournament organizations, and US Grappling is by far my favorite tournament organization that I've ever competed with, that I've ever refed for, and that I've ever been to, to be honest. So, if you're not registered for the upcoming January 4th tournament in Raleigh, North Carolina, what are you even doing with your life? Go to usgrappling.com and register right now. You'll be glad you did. If I wasn't going to be in Mexico City, I'd fly out for that tournament and compete for the first time at Black Belt. I am looking at either April 4th in Atlantic City, New Jersey, or April 25th in beautiful Richmond, Virginia. Always love to get to Richmond and visit Andrew Smith at Revolution BJJ, Seth Smith at Upstream BJJ, and all my friends in Richmond. So, if you haven't registered for those tournaments yet, go to usgrappling.com. Com right now check it out tell them we sent you I'll we'll see you on the minutes. man I, I do think that's the hardest thing for everybody no matter uh, what level is the because we want to roll right especially yeah. even especially if you feel like there's an expectation on you to roll but just because it's fun and we yeah. love we do this because we love it. But I have to ask too on the topic of time. And as a twenty-six-year-old person, you you compete at the highest level, Mm -hmm. but you really haven't been doing this all that long, relatively speaking. You've been Mm -hmm. training six or seven years. Yeah, let's say seven. So let's say seven years. And so, like you know, it's a long time. But like in the grand scheme of jujitsu, you know, you've had a really fast rise to Mm -hmm. the to the top level. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what you attribute that to. Obviously, you've had excellent coaches, but I'm wondering if there are other things that. Because you know, everybody listens to this podcast wants to get better at jujitsu. So I'm wondering if you could tell us, like, uh, you know, obviously excellent coaching, but to what do you, do you attribute achieving this success at such a relatively limited time in jiu-jitsu?
0: To be honest, uh, before starting jujitsu, I was uh, playing, trying to reach a very high level in another sport. I was playing soccer, mm-hmm. football, depending on which jiu-jitsu. country is listening to this <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, and so um, the skill of learning. So to speak is something that i was I've been working on for a while. Um, the only difference is soccer let's say in North America is not as advanced as in Europe you know what I mean not nearly as advanced you look at the stadiums the teams the club the budget it's on another level there so you know I had to rely on watching like uh, the Premier League in the u k for example see what the best are doing um, once I started jiu-jitsu with good coaches, I had what I was missing, what I was missing in soccer, which is that feedback, that somebody you know, guiding you and giving you feedback, technical aspects. So when these two came together with like the, the work ethic, is you know that you, you got to you know focus, sleep early, train hard, uh, not party on weekends. These things, you know them as an athlete. So when you combine that with good feedback and top-level athletes, you get better fast. And this is obviously, you know, training a lot, thinking about your training. Uh, training smart was not something I was doing uh, when I first started. I'll tell you that. That's I got all my, my cauliflower ears, I got them from white to midway through my blue belt, then intact. So it was like, I was training not the smartest way, but you learn the hard way. Or you can listen to this podcast and avoid making these mistakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, we all got to do it the easy way or the hard way, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And obviously, your training partners—you've trained with some of the best in the world, including mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, some somebody who people consider the literal best in the world, Lee mm-hmm. no nogi And like, to you know, how important is that? Like, and you know, to to have a, a consistent high level of training
0: partners pushing you. Yeah, it, this is double edged sword because you're looking up to people, so it's very easy to compare yourself to them. It's very easy to compare yourself to somebody, and then you can't always do that. It's not, it's not the similar circumstances It's not similar circumstances. It's not similar lives. It's not similar opportunities. So it's good to look up to somebody who's doing a lot, who's uh, who's from your team, who's at the highest level. There also has to be, a, you know, um, you have to look at yourself and then see if you have the same. I wouldn't say. With same goals, you know, some people are willing to do a lot more to win than others. You know, and by win I mean win a competition. There are other ways of winning with jiu jitsu, I believe. So you, you gotta pick and choose and see at what cost you wanna achieve your goals and at what rate, what speed. Because some people they'll take they'll take they make decisions to win faster, sooner, earlier.
2: Are you, are you talking about the acai?
0: Huh. <laughs> what else? Yes. That's an example. I'll give you an example. Like that's just one example.
2: Uh,
0: some people don't mind waiting a bit longer, trying to win on the long run, doing it the clean way. I'm not looking to bash or anything, but do This is just something people need to need to understand. You can't compare yourself to somebody else because it's it's never going to be the exact same life, same circumstance, the same opportunity, same roadblocks. Uh, you know, we don't come from the same place. We don't have the same life growing up. So it's a little different, but it's it's good to look at you know the things that they're doing that you're in line with, working hard, showing up the training, uh, being humble, even though it doesn't seem like some of my teammates are, they <laughs> definitely are very humble. No, is- uh,
2: on that real quick, I've I've competed against you twice. I've competed against Gordon twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing but the utmost respect for all the guys from TriStar, all the guys from um, from Henzo's. And having been in Ryan Hall's uh, training camp a few different times and seeing guys like um, Eamon and uh, yeah man all those guys are awesome but um, I have nothing bad to say personally it's it's when you start talking about the image of jiu-jitsu it's very different nowadays the landscape has changed and I know some people are quick to um, compare some of Gordon's tactics on the internet to like Conor McGregor but listen Having met him, having met Nikki, like when we and I went out to dinner in Houston, um, it was such a great time. And everybody's so chill and respectful, Mm. absolutely respectful people. Mm. And uh, I still have a screenshot from like 2015 from Gordon when he was saying, you know, the nicest of things to me. And nobody knows who the fuck I am. (laughs) Like, let's be real. (laughs) Like, in, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of things, I will, I will you know, give myself the Barry Horowitz pat on the back as the best tier two grappler. (gasps) But Gordon was like, listen, man, you're doing it right. You're not, you're not talking the trash. You're just doing the work. You come in, you keep your head down and you're respectful. And that's what, that's what I always took about, took back from it. Mm. It's very easy to get caught up in how people go about their business as opposed to the jujitsu and the grappling. Mm-hmm. And the business of it right now with sponsorship and everything else is so competitive. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Like how do you go about trying to make the image for yourself that gives you that edge when it concerns sponsorship or, mm-hmm. you know, getting your seminars and doing all that stuff? What What have you done to like say, all right, I've done the work in the, in the
0: gym. What do I need to do to make myself lucrative outside of that? Again, it's it's a it's decisions you make, right? There are, there are things like clickbait things you can say. There are comments you can leave on somebody's uh, post. There are uh, people you can pick on that will give you a lot more exposure than saying something nice. You know, um, for the most part, people will be more attracted to something negative, or people will it'll catch their attention a lot more if they see something like obnoxious out of the blue, like. Uh, if you see a picture of somebody winning and everybody congrats, congrats, you don't notice these. You con- you'll notice that one comment is somebody you suck, you cheated, or oh you're on uh, you're massive amounts of steroids or something like that. You know what I mean? And that's def- that's not necessarily the the approach I uh, I use. You know, I try to think of you know keeping good relations with people um, on the long run. Um, trying to remember, you know, like we were white belts at some point, so try to help as much as possible. Am My perfect, my angel. Not really, not I'm not 100%, but that's what I try to aim for, you know, strive for. So that's the approach I'm trying to take because a lot of times things you'll feel like you're in a movie the way things work out sometimes. Like Betty put me in touch with you, for example, and we don't know where this is going to lead to. So just being open minded and keeping good relations and not burning bridges that's the way I go about it. And you know, going back to Gordon, everybody who meets him and sees him in real life. We'll go back and say the exact same thing. This yeah. guy is super chill. He's super helpful. And you just go and see him um, at Henzo's. After training, you're lined up to ask him questions about, like, technical things. And, and you ask him a question, he has an answer that you can't even handle. It's too many options. So, you're like, a private of an hour condensed in five minutes that he does the four or five teammates in a row. You know, so, like, you look at his actions and then you'll see, oh, he's not that big of a dick. He's actually pretty chill. Yeah. When was that
2: seminar? Was that March 2017? Yeah, March 2017. Betty brought him down to North Carolina, and that
1: was his experience. That was my experience with him, certainly. And I think everybody, all the brown and black belts that he got together with, was very generous with his time. Was very humble. Yeah. Was trained fun, in the gi. Trained in the gi. Was kind and and as you said, like I had exactly that experience where he answered everybody's question. And with minute technical details that were super helpful and stuff that was a little bit like drinking from the fire hose, but he was patient and made sure everybody that came to his seminar or bought a private from him or just asked him a question after training got what they came for. It was mm-hmm. like, okay, here are three options off of that pass. Mm-hmm. You do this, in which case you have to do A, B, and C. You can do that, in which case you have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it was terrific. And so it's important to remember sometimes that you know <laughs> the internet is not always reality, but I wanted to follow up. While you were giving your answer, I actually was going to bring up Betty Broadhurst before you did in terms of somebody – or to ask you about her. The heart of jujitsu. Yeah, because the first lady of, of jiu-jitsu in the Southeast, I think. And this is somebody that – you know Betty, through her nonprofit role forever, does a really good job of connecting, particularly athletes that are trying to be on – or that are on the rise in jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. with other folks. And what's cool about Betty is that she truly believes in jujitsu for everyone, whether you're talking about somebody that's competing at ADCC – or someone who got into it at 45 years old as a school teacher wants to improve their life by getting in better shape, learning a new skill, things like that. And so, I was just wondering, like, if you could talk a little bit about the the impact that someone like Betty has on athletes like yourself in jiu jujitsu. Mm-hmm.
0: I'd say if, if I want to sum it up, it's uh, she'll open up doors for you uh, where you didn't really necessarily uh, see them. So I've been I've been working well, working. I've been in touch with Betty for. I'd say three months, and then the support she's uh, given me and my my teammates it's been it's been pretty pretty big so far. And uh, when I mean support, is also like financial support, like legitimate money transfers. Like right. two minutes after she said she was gonna do it, like you hang up the phone, boom, you have a transfer right there. I'm like, wow, this is actually unbelievable. You're like, wow, okay, she's. Uh, she actually means what she says and then she, you have ideas with her she'll follow through minutes later like if you have if you we agree on something and let's say I forget or I don't follow through she's gonna make you follow through so even though that could come across as maybe like it could annoy somebody or it could be oh, get off my case but this is what you need you need somebody not just to tell you what you want to hear uh, be the yes man oh good job. And not follow through. She'll help you and then she'll stay on your case. Hey, you need to compete, you need to go to Henzo's, you need to um go train here, go train there, you need to get in touch with that guy. Um, you know, you need to link up with that guy, communicate with him, try to make a post about this. So that kind of support is good. You know, it's like it's like, you know, having a reminder on your phone. Yeah. Constantly reminding you, Oh yeah, true, I forgot I need to do this. Oh that's true, I forgot I need to do that. So Betty's mm-hmm. been huge in, in that particular aspect. Yeah, you know, the world, is, the world needs more people that
1: just want to help. And that's what I always, the sense I would get with mm-hmm. Betty. And sometimes that help looks like tough love. Sometimes that help
0: just looks like love. And mm-hmm. so the world needs uh, more folks like that. They're just trying to help out other folks. Agreed, 100%. Mark. Agreed, 100%. She started, she started out, uh, she started out with, with Wolf Forever. We were asking. She's like, I don't know. I just wanted to bring in, you know, high-level jiu-jitsu to, to my hometown. And the doors open up. She doesn't even see them, but you just by trying, they open up. I guess, you know, a lot of times it just. For me, for example, my my um, one of my teammates slash partner in Montreal, he just hit me up after after I got done after I got operated. He's like, "Hey man, when you can walk, can come and teach." And now it turned into online store, turned into podcast, turned into collaboration here, collaboration there. So just put in the work, and then sometimes doors will open up. You know, just being consistent and thinking a bit more long-term than immediate uh, immediate result, like I need something now. Definitely, you know, just paycheck by paycheck.
2: On the topic of accountability, you've already mentioned your accountability for yourself and training and being healthy and not uh, partying on the weekends and the things that can be taken for granted. 26 years old, the level of maturity you had, and I mean, I must have met you then when you were like 23. Maybe. Because it's, it's been a few years, and um, man, I, I would not have guessed your age then, because the way you have this poise and composure about yourself, even if you're on the side of the mat, you save all the joking around for afterwards. And like we did, we had fun. Like uh, after one of the competitions, Mm -hmm. and then uh, I remember finishers, we went out to some place in New Jersey, or was it Pennsylvania, New Jersey? I can't remember. Yeah,
0: it was New Jersey. It was New
2: Jersey. And you know, we went out. We uh, we had breakfast the one morning right beforehand. it's like it's all fun and games and then when you get there, you're not trying to put on like a front like stone-faced killer but you're just very focused. Mm-hmm. You have your head up. You're, you're not like one of those guys that gets anti-social and puts on the headphones and like goes in the corner. What, is it, what does it take for you to turn that switch on and off to, to have that accountability for yourself on the weekends to then show up and just be that like avatar of conviction?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, first off, it was uh, it had to do with um, you know being around uh, teammates who were doing it before. I got to watch um, I got to watch Jordan, Gary compete. Eddie at the time I got to watch them and how they act, how they talk to people. That helped out a lot, definitely. But then it's also being yourself, man. You know, some people will will, will see others act in a certain way and then not ask themselves, "Hey, am I actually am I actually like that way? Do I actually want to act that way or?" you know, slap myself in the face or hide myself up. Some people are not like that. Some people for a comp like to take naps. Yeah. Some people for comps like to run around, do jumping jacks, you know, it's just be yourself. You know what I mean? Don't try to imitate or pretend to be somebody you're not. Because you're just going to be spending more time and energy thinking about what people think about you than actually thinking about, you know, your match. A you 100%. I mean? it's, like, it's like save that energy for something else, just be normal. About to compete, you're nervous, it's normal. Right, just relax and go do your thing. I,
1: I, the last time I competed at the worlds was 2013, and I was the first match because I was a blue belt at the time. And I, I was I was right at nine, so I was the first match. And there's this black belt, Jason Culbreth from North Carolina, who's a mean old man. He's probably listening to this, and you know you're a mean old man. And as I was as I was, I, you know, so you know, like not not that it's the same level, but you know, we all know like when you put in that hard training, like the competition's the fun part. And it's like yeah. at least it is for me. It's like I put in the hard work. And so I'm smiling. I'm, like, waving to my friends in the stands. And Colby trying to get me to put on the mean face. He's like, no, you got to focus and, like, mean mug that guy. And, and I know, and I'm just like, "And that, that's not me in any respect. And he got that. And he, I still remember what he said to me, which is he looks at me and he says, and this was not a compliment. He says with utter disgust in his voice, I guess you just got to be who you are. There
0: you go. <laughs> I, remember, I remember the first time I saw I met Craig. Before he started training with us, mm-hmm. it was uh, semi-finals. We were Nogi Worlds at Purple Belt. And, uh, you know, I'm JJF, the ring coordinator will come and get uh, Craig, I'll get myself, and he'll walk us to the mats. Craig turns around, big smile, shakes my hand, how you doing, mate? I'm like, this throws you off. You're like, I'm not used to somebody being like nice before a match. You know what I mean? So that's the way he is. Totally. He, get, he, he trained with us for ADCC. During the campaign, that's literally legit how he is. He's just cool, chill guy, laid back, relaxed, and just sees it as like another role at the gym, another match. So yeah, just be yourself. Don't, if you are a certain way and it's unique, uh, on the contrary, embrace it. It's probably something special. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It makes perfect sense. Yeah, 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 100%, man.
1: If you had any advice that you could give your blue belt self, like you've just got your blue belt, you've achieved some stuff, and now you know it's brown belt, Oliver, looking back like four or five years later, like what would you tell that guy?
0: Mm, what i would i would tell myself obviously i mean it paid off i guess all the um all the hard work all the pushing all the that extra rep, that extra session that extra role but i definitely tell myself to think a little bit long long term and take my time and don't put pressure on yourself to get better fast improve fast be the best fast because if there's a, there's a reason why it takes a long time to get good at some things because you need to put in time, right? And so that's, that's the advice I, I give myself. Don't rush and enjoy. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the setbacks. You know, take your time. Accumulate that experience. You need to accumulate, let's say, before a black belt or whatever the case may be. So rushing and being impatient, uh, people can easily fall into that uh, cycle. and say just chill and enjoy it. Enjoy every step of the way, mm-hmm. you know? Something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned that you've started a podcast and I know you have a few
1: episodes out right now. Yes. And you know, I want to make sure that folks know where they can get that podcast but before we get into that t- sort of plug, I want to know like what, how it came to be that you decided we should do this yeah. and like what your goals are for the podcast. Is it just a
0: fun thing for you mm-hmm. or, or what's the deal? I was going through rehab and uh, I remember um, three months into the, the rehab, it was Christmas and then uh, my family got me headphones. Because I kept complaining about the, the radio music they put at Gold's gym close to my house. He's so like, man, you're trying to max out on a rep and you have Ariana Grande screaming in your ears. I'm like, you oh, know what I mean? At least something where I can block out the noise, that would be good. So they got me headphones. And music, like the same music you listen to every day gets boring. So on Spotify, there is like a section for podcasts. And I started, like, I listened to Tim Ferriss, Jocko, Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is cool. And it helped me a lot during the rehab. And, like, sometimes, like, I listen to things, I'm like, man, this is, this would get me, like, to go and train when I fell down. Or, like, Monday, can't train jiu-jitsu. It's been four months. Mm-hmm. Go and do your rehab properly. So, and and I felt like uh, we could hopefully do something similar to a jit community. And then, you know, just people can relate. It doesn't have to be the perfect life, you know, guys succeeding every step of the way, just, you know, being transparent and honest and, you know, showing people where you fail and where you do good because people can relate to it, whether it's good or bad and then, you know, people can uh, can benefit from it or get something out of it and, uh, you know, there's there's nothing bad with having an extra podcast like that. So no, most definitely. That's about it, man. Uh, what's the name of your
1: podcast and where can folks get it?
0: Uh, Off Balance. We the, the podcast is called Off Balance. Mm, And then it's on YouTube, and it's on every other platform where you can find podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, iTunes. I'm forgetting some. Stitcher. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's all there. So you're also working on a project with Stefan Kesting, I understand. Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that project?
0: Yes, Stefan came in at a good time where financially it was was a little little tough after ABCC camp, so we linked up when I went to BC. And uh, we did a, we did some filming. People liked it, so we're going to do an instructional about uh, going to do heel hooks, just basic uh, understanding of ashi single leg X, cross ashi, and you know outside, inside heel hook entries, transitions. So you know anytime I can go to a seminar, if people know these things, we can go in depth right away. So we're just putting it out there first DVD, and then. We'll see how it goes. See how people react to it. If they like it, if they don't like it. But I think it's a it's a good, it's a step in the, in the in the right direction. You know, for people who aren't too familiar or, or aren't too confident of you know how to approach heel hooks, leg locks, if they've never done any, could be a good uh, a good uh, blueprint.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stefan is one of the true nice guys of jiu-jitsu too. Legend does a lot
0: for jiu-jitsu. Yeah, hundred percent. He's a fireman. Yeah, you know, fireman works. And uh, I was messaging him he was on a honeymoon with his wife in, uh, in the mountains and still get back gets back to me similar to Betty man like mm-hmm. you, you you see um, I'm not saying there are bad people out there but you see there are patterns for people that are doing good things and bad things and then you see patterns of Stefan that you've seen Betty and other good people like sharp you know that deliver right away they say something they do it it's good to it's good to work with people like that because'll if I'm not like that. I want to be like them. You know, I'm like, oh man, it feels good to work with them. Imagine if people can feel the same working with me. So, it's definitely something that, you know, it, it makes you question and be like, oh, I should probably work on, on trying to being like them. So, it's, it's, yeah, it's nice working with Steven, It's beneficial, but it's also a good learning experience because mm-hmm. they've been around for long. You know, they've, they're way older than me. not saying they're old, but, you know, they got more experience than me. With, I mean,
2: like, we're way older than yeah, you. We're, yeah, we're
0: way older. Just dealing I'm with old. people, I'm experience, like life experience, dealing with people <laughs> and problems and, you know, egos or whatnot. It's, it's nice dealing with them, yeah. Do you, uh, you have any idea when that's coming out? Any time frame More folks can look for it? I have no idea. I'd have to... We're film Dude, I'm, I'm filming this, so we we planned to do it ahead of time, but there was like a little, um, little change of plans for both of us, so... My flight back to Montreal is on Monday. We're filming it on Monday. Oh, wow. My flight's at uh, 5 p.m. We're going to start filming at like 4.30 a.m. You better ho- ho- hope you hit it in one take. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to use some of your coffee, man. You yeah, keep absolutely. Me up. You better hook me up with the whole bag. Exactly. We set you home right. with the Bolo
2: blend. Absolutely. Bolo
0: blend to kick off leg locks, man. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure. That's for some for cross sure. promotion.
1: Do you have anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about
0: or anything about you that you really want the listeners to know? Not really, man, not really. If if there's uh, if there's anything people should know about me, man, it's I've made a lot more mistakes than I've made good decisions. That's for sure, you know, and uh, setbacks usually there's there's always something hidden behind them, a little blessing. So just see the see it from a good perspective and uh, just, just, just know that people like me, who seem to be doing great and having the great life, deal with a lot of setbacks and failures. But just about, you know, keep trying it and moving. Kind of like jiu-jitsu. If you you stop training after you get subbed the first time, you're never gonna get good. You keep training, keep showing up, and you're, you're. It's gonna click. It's gonna open up.
2: Two things on that. I love to tell people. You know how to spell success. It starts with suck. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the other one is there's no household in the world that can hide a hang a sign out front that reads no problems here. Mm -hmm. Like we all have our stuff and we tend to keep it private. Mm -hmm. But if, um, fans are listening or people who might not know you are listening, um, I know they can find you at Tazagurami on Instagram. Is that the preferred method or, um, something like that where, what would uh, people have to do to go about, you know, we talked about off balance, but what's the preferred way of reaching you or following you and seeing your progress?
0: TazaGrammy on uh, on IG, they can uh, hit me up on Scramble Canada, Mizu Studio. These are all like similar run by myself and Val. So Facebook Messenger too, Oliver Taza, first name last name, you know, message me and get back to you uh, ASAP. Oliver, it's been a real pleasure having you. Really looking forward to training with you later. Pleasure is all mine, man. Thank you guys for having me.
1: My thanks to Oliver Taza for swinging by not only to do that interview, but to teach class and to roll with me and Dave. We learned a lot from him, and I will look forward to seeing Oliver Taza's rise both on the grappling scene as an instructor. We'll let you know when that instructional with Stefan Kesting's GrappleArts.com comes out. We'll post it in the comments of the show when it does. So my thanks to you, the listener, for bearing with us during this time of transition. We couldn't be more excited about Bellingham BJJ and about future Dirty White Belt Radio. So check us out online at BellinghamBJJ.com, DirtyWhiteBeltRadio.com, and on Instagram at BellinghamBJJ and Dirty White Belt. This has been Dirty White Belt Radio. My name is Jeff Shaw, and we will see you in 2020.